I went to walk up the stairs out of the pit to change a gate and I got dizzy and fell over. I headbutted the gate and then my ex-husband had come over to help wash down the shed at that point and I asked him to sit me up but by that stage I must have already had the paralysis set in so um, I couldn't support my weight and I fell again and hit the same part of my head on the concrete. The hospital didn't at first know if, if uh, the fall had caused the stroke or the stroke had caused the fall but the first hospital I presented to diagnosed the stroke but didn't know why I had no risk factors at that stage. So um, no warning of the stroke, just got dizzy. I have always had low blood pressure, so just thought it was a bit of a faint from my blood pressure dropping too low. I have had that throughout my life, so not unusual for me. But by the time the ambulance got there, my speech was starting to slur and I was starting to have seizures. I was thrombolised, which is a blood thinning treatment to try and dissolved the blood clot that was doing the damage but unfortunately for me that didn't have any result so it didn't didn't work for me which is why my damage is so severe and then I was transferred to another hospital um, I was conscious throughout all of this going on I didn't know much about strokes at that point but understood everything that was being explained to me and I was transferred to another larger hospital for uh, to the acute unit there every day I had physiotherapy and an occupational therapy session. So mostly learning to stand again, transfer into my wheelchair, between my wheelchair and my bed, and just getting to a point where I was safe enough to get home. Of course, by that point, I still had my two children. Just because I was young, they wanted me to be mobile enough to be safe at home with the kids and um, just being a young person, you know, be able to live my life reasonably well again. So that's why I spent so long in that last hospital. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear, and this is Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. Looking after children after a stroke can be incredibly challenging, particularly if the parents are separated or if one has to continue to work while the other recovers. The Heart and Stroke Charity in Canada has an informative resource page on their website. Just visit heartandstroke.ca and type parenting into their search bar. In this episode, we hear from Candice Donner from Tarunga in New Zealand, who suffered a stroke at the age of 35. I had my two children, so my youngest at the time was 18 months old and my, my older boy was actually 15. My ex-husband and I were dairy farmers, so working on a small farm, and I also had a part-time job. I was a kind of like a lunch lady, I guess you'd call it, in, a, in an intermediate school. So I would milk cows and then go to work and pick the kids up after school, go home, milk cows. Uh, so the two jobs, two kids, looking after the house. Pretty busy kind of life, really. It was a Sunday afternoon, so I was down to the last row or two of cows at that point. I went to walk up the stairs out of the pit to change a gate and I got dizzy and fell over. I headbutted the gate and then my ex-husband had come over to help wash down the shed at that point and I asked him to sit me up but by that stage I must have already had the paralysis set in so I couldn't support my weight and I fell again and hit the same part of my head on the concrete after that so hit my head twice and the problem with it was the head injury at first, the 
hospital didn't at first know if, if uh, the fall had caused the stroke or the stroke had caused the fall. But the first hospital I presented to diagnosed the stroke but didn't know why I had no risk factors at that stage. So um, no warning of the stroke, just got dizzy. I have always had low blood pressure, so just thought it was a bit of a faint from my blood pressure dropping too low. I have had that throughout my life, so not unusual for me. But by the time the ambulance got there, my speech was starting to slur and I was starting to have seizures. So got to the hospital pretty quickly, really, and I was thrombolised, which is a blood thinning treatment to try and dissolve the blood clot that was doing the damage. But unfortunately for me, that didn't have any result. So it didn't didn't work for me, which is why my damage is so severe. And then I was transferred to another hospital. Um, I was conscious throughout all of this going on. I didn't know much about strokes at that point, but understood everything that was being explained to me. And I was transferred to another larger hospital for uh, to the acute unit there. So I spent about two weeks there. I couldn't sit up or wasn't really conscious much after the initial day or so. But then after the first couple of weeks was transferred again to another hospital. So hospital number three where I spent most of my time for my rehabilitation. So I had four months in the third hospital. Quite a long process really for me before I came home. In hospital, Candice underwent a rigorous recovery program. Every day I had physiotherapy and an occupational therapy session. So mostly learning to stand again, transfer into my wheelchair, between my wheelchair and my bed, and just getting to a point where I was safe enough to get home. Of course, by that point, I still had my two children. Just because I was young, they wanted me to be mobile enough to be safe at home with the kids and um, just being a young person, you know, be able to live my life reasonably well again. So that's why I spent so long in that last hospital. The hospital routine is quite different to being at home again. You kind of are taken out of your life suddenly and gone for a long time. And then you're just lying in your hospital bed most of the day. You're doing your physio and that sort of thing, but it's not really a lot of activity. So going home again was the big shock was that that activity again. Just fatigue-wise was the real struggle. I never returned to farming. My ex-husband left just as I was leaving my wheelchair behind, so we were left on our own at about the eight-month mark, I think it was. I never returned to farming. I chose to go and study and retrain in a different field. I did a Bachelor of Community Health, so I majored in public health. Mostly due to having had a stroke, I wanted to bring my own experience to the health industry and help other people in whatever way I could by the end of the degree. I got offered a job just before the end of the degree. So I worked part-time, I worked from home, which became a permanent thing after we finished our lockdown here in New Zealand. From the COVID lockdown we had for about four weeks, I worked throughout that. And then it became an option that was given to the staff that we could choose to have a bit of a mix between working from home and the office. So I chose to work from home because it works Works well around my kids and my medical appointments and things that I've got going on, my rehab, uh, things like that. So it just works in really well. I'm lucky to have a situation where I can work around everything else that's going on. It's kind of an administration job, really, I guess. The organisation I work for has a medical clinic, so we've doctors and nurses, but we also have community services, so things like mental health and addictions and other other services, so like asthma and diabetes, those type of community-based services. And I register every new client that comes in for those community services. So I kind of am the 
initial entry point for people coming into the organisation and then registering all that informa- information before it gets passed on to the caseworkers, the other staff members. So it's kind of a bit of an administration reporting type job. I had already asked to work from home because of with being a survivor, I um, was really aware of being more vulnerable perhaps to the virus and, and the effects of it. So I had already asked to work from home at that point. So I had just finished work on the Friday and then the country, went. we moved pretty quickly. By the Monday, we had moved alert levels. I think it was alert level three on the Monday and then by Wednesday, we were alert level four, which is the highest level. So it had gone moved pretty quickly because of the cases in the community. So, And that was complete lockdown for four weeks initially. So just, yeah, it was good though. It, I think it was, it was necessary and it, it did have good results. I actually had to homeschool my youngest. Um, he... he was six at the time of lockdown so busy busy kid always on the go so I was working from home and homeschooling him as well which is not always too easy I was pretty tired by the end of each day but we would get out for a walk around the neighborhood and then do homeschool well and then I would work so pretty full days for us we we weren't there wasn't really days that were too too low on activity so it was a bit of a challenge my job is quite mentally draining for me with being a survivor so there's a lot of information processing so it is quite hard work for me but it's good i'm grateful to have the job though doctors were also able to determine the cause of candice's stroke i had quite a large hole in my heart that i didn't know about so i had a blood clot i had deep vein thrombosis in one of my legs that i didn't know about either so i had no symptoms of of the hole in my heart or the deep vein thrombosis until i had the stroke that day so uh, the blood clot was quite large that caused the stroke. I lost about a third of my right frontal lobe, so that was all the part of my brain that controls the left side of my body. So I'm, I'm still quite severely physically limited on my left side. Um, so I, I walk around unaided. Well, I still wear a leg brace, but I can get around okay on my own now. But I have still have no function of my left arm, so I'm about five and a half years post-stroke now. So that's quite disheartening to not have any, well, not that there hasn't been any progress, but it's still not functional. And that's, so I live, I have done all that I've done post-stroke, living with life with one hand. So that's quite a challenge. Cognitively, I'm still pretty much like I was. The only other effect I had was my left eye became short-sighted. So I did have to wear glasses not long after I was discharged from hospital. I had to get glasses for the first time in my life. So that was different as well. So mostly my the effects of my stroke are physical. The paralysis was kind of like a its a perfect line down the centre of my body, so everything to the left is paralysed, so that includes my core muscles, my back, everything to that left side. So mostly physical for me. And in the beginning, I did lose my short-term memory. Like, that was pretty pretty rubbish. <laughs> you can see when I'm, when I'm fatigued, I can still struggle to find words sometimes too. In the beginning, just... After my stroke, I wasn't really conscious for more than a couple of hours at a time because I would need to rest from any any kind of physical effort. But it has improved over time. But some days, depending on what type of activity I do, and if I do have a really busy mental day, then I can still get quite fatigued. I don't nap too often these days, but sometimes if I have had a day that has worked my brain, I do still need to, to nap or have an early night. I try and manage it by going to bed early and just having as much rest as, as necessary. But again, it just depends on 
on what is on for the day. My youngest is now seven, so he's pretty active still. And you know, if we go out, if we have to go supermarket shopping, anything like that, then that can also be a challenge at the end of a work day. And after school, he's pretty full on. Talks non-stop, so that, can, that does my head in sometimes as well. It is challenging being a single parent as well as working and being a stroke survivor, so that's, it can be pretty full on days and I can have be pretty tired by the end of it. Despite divorcing from her husband not long after suffering her stroke, Candice was able to raise both her children while also making great progress in recovery. Still to come on Stroke Stories, Candice on the benefits of Instagram. Social media was a really big way to have contact outside the hospital, which is why I started using Instagram in the first place, but it's quite a good way to keep in contact with friends and family and, and other survivors I've met. And on her plan to write a book. A lot of the time when you're telling the story, it's quite a brief kind of overview of things, but when you write the story out, it's quite it can be quite emotional. You have to revisit a whole lot of stuff, but I have found it quite helpful in my own healing process. So just to revisit and look at all that trauma and, and the whole experience again has been has been quite good for me, like say, quite therapeutic. And I think it's just been really helpful. Let's hear how Candice's friends reacted to her stroke. Just like me, everybody that I know was shocked that I had had a stroke. But it just isn't the kind of thing that you expect someone to have, especially a young person. But oh, I'm very fortunate. My, all my friends are, have, been, have been really supportive. I've got really good family as well, so family support, uh, which was helpful. Once we were left on our own, it was really helpful to have that support network. But I have also kind of widened my circle of friends from study. I have a lot of friends through through my studying as well, and and now also my workmates. So I've got quite a big support network, which has been helpful. I went to the ward that I was on. I've been back a few times and given talks to other survivors on the ward, and I've introduced myself to others, particularly young other young survivors. So I, I have been to visit them while they've been in the ward on the ward as well. And I am involved in a couple of stroke groups locally, so I try and get to those meetings as often as possible. I think we, most of them, well, I'm part of three groups, so two of them meet monthly, so pretty regular catch up with everybody, other survivors too, which is helpful to share our experiences and just offer support to each other as well. Social media was a really big way to have contact outside the hospital which is why I started using Instagram in the first place but it's quite a good way to keep in contact with friends and family and, and other survivors I've met lots and lots of other survivors online which is really helpful so yeah it's a good way to make contact with others. Candice also has big plans for the future. I was approved some funding this year to run a, an event that I had planned that I was going to, to call a walk and talk for stroke but um, with the, all the COVID stuff going on I've had to cancel that event so I was going to actually do a public talk about sharing my own story and then have a, a walk event for, for survivors and their families to participate in. So walking and talking are the two major things that people are find are affected by stroke. So I wanted an event that would tie in around those two major things. Um, but like I say, unfortunately, that's not happening this year. So I might revisit that again, maybe next year. And also I've been writing a book. So writing the book of my own story. Not just for other survivors, but I think there are some good things that have come out of the experience that I think other people might be able to relate to and take from for their own journeys, whatever that might be. So yeah, a couple of things on the go as well as, as all the life stuff.
a lot of the time when you tell your story, it's quite a brief kind of overview of things. But when you write the story out, it's quite it can be quite emotional. You have to revisit a whole lot of stuff. But I have found it quite helpful in my own healing process. So just to revisit and look at all that trauma and, and the whole experience again has been has been quite good for me, like say quite therapeutic. And I think it's just been really helpful. And hopefully that will be helpful to other people that might take from it what they can. And she believes that however hard it gets, you should never give up. To other survivors, I would say to rest when you need to and just find a way to never give up, just never give up. It's easier said than done because it's so hard to stay positive and have a good mindset about your recovery and about the changes that have happened. Uh, to family or friends or survivors, I would say just to recognise that the survivor themselves, they are going to be different, but they're still with the same person, but they will be different. So just to accept that that will happen, but just to be there, be a pair of ears and just support in whatever way that you can, but just acknowledge that they will be a different person in some ways. The road to recovery Candice has been on has been challenging for her and her family. And despite some early setbacks, she's managed to look after her children, gain a qualification and retrain for a career in healthcare and make great strides in her physical and mental recovery. Coming up in the next episode of Stroke Stories. I don't really remember waking up, but I guess at one point I tried to get up to use the bathroom and my wife noticed I was having a hard time figuring out how to get into the bathroom. And then she noticed certain parts of my body were kind of behaving erratically, like my arms were not really easily controlled. So she got me back into bed, had me lay down. I guess there were some other symptoms there too, probably, that prompted her to call uh, 911. Please subscribe to Stroke Stories and rate and comment on the episodes that you hear because that really does help us spread the word. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and there's a story you can share, please contact us via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. <laughs>